0: Hello and welcome to episode 110 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon and I'm joined by my co-host Pilar Orti. Pilar, how's it going with you today?
1: It's going okay. Yes, we are recording on a Monday morning, so I'm all ready for the week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's some lovely optimism. It is a very (laughs) dank... West yes, Damp Monday, perfect yeah. for recording a podcast.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So um, before we dive into the main content for today, I just wanted to share an update about um, our uh monthly meetup over on Work Life Psych Club. That's our online community, which is all about personal development. Now, Some listeners will be familiar with it. I know some listeners are actually members. But if this is the first time you've joined us on the podcast, you're very welcome. And you should also know we have an online community that is 100% free to join. And each month we have an online meetup to discuss a topic of interest. So April's uh, meetup is going to be all about self-limiting beliefs, which we spoke about on the podcast very recently, and we covered that in episode 107. And it, it's a topic that I'm also simultaneously exploring on the community um, uh, in, in a series of posts about you know what stops us from working on our own personal development. We might have some lofty goals, we might have some ideas about how we want to grow, but lots of stuff can get in the way, and the way we think about ourselves is one of those ways. So it's completely free to join the meetup. All the details are in the events section of the community. And you can find that at worklifepsych.club. I'll put a link to it in the show notes.
1: It's a great topic for discussion, Richard. I can see, I mean, self-limiting beliefs.
0: (laughs) It's almost a universal experience in in one way or another.
1: Good. So... What have we got for today
0: then? Today we're going to take a look at coping, coping with big stuff, coping with little stuff, um, how we cope with this stuff that we don't particularly like to encounter in life.
1: Mm-hmm. And is this something that, again, is that at the front of your mind? Are you coming across it a lot? Why this particular? Topic now,
0: yeah. So I'm. It it is front of mind for me, and that kind of steers this podcast, doesn't it? Now that Mm. I think about it, (laughs) well, it's great. It's
1: personal podcasting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and you know when I when I do um, when I'm working with individuals in a coaching context about well-being, how they cope with difficulties is a really rich vein to explore. What is it you're doing to help you deal with the setbacks and challenges and disappointments? And it, it can really give. An insight into why well being is a topic for them because the way they're coping is not necessarily helping them. In fact, it may be detracting from their well being, but it comes up in many other topics like team building, how the team copes with challenges when it comes to productivity. Maybe the way I cope with workload is ultimately not going to help me with this topic of getting the right stuff done. Maybe when it's interpersonal effectiveness, how I cope with my own challenges has an impact on those around me. And therefore, it's not helping me be as effective with others as it might be. So as I say, it's something that's quite fundamental to work because it's not a straight line from a to be. And all of us are dealing with challenges pretty much daily.
1: And when you're saying cope, what do you mean exactly? What's the difference, for example, between coping and being resilient or something like that?
0: Yeah, So they're linked concepts, for sure. Coping is anything that we do in response to a challenge. And it might be uh, cognitive, the way we think about it. We might want to reframe it or or use some cognitive technique uh, to deal with that challenge. Or, Or it could be behavioral, some action we take in response to that challenge. So loosely, everything that we do in response to a difficulty could be called coping. But of course, not all coping is equally effective and not all coping strategies are equally um, good for us fundamentally. Uh, Some may help us get through a sticky patch. Some might actually make the problem worse. Mm -hmm. And one of the big themes when it comes to coping for me and my work is to help people become more aware uh, of they sort of automatic coping strategies. They may not even think of it as coping. They just think of it as what they do to feel better when life gets a bit ugh. And if we can be more intentional with our coping responses, then you know what? We can do something that we're reasonably confident won't make things worse and actually won't have that negative impact on our health and well-being. Yeah,
1: I find that the image that's coming to mind is like coping at that very moment to um, to be able to navigate through whatever is going on, all the way to how it can drive us to move forward into the future. It, it, yeah, re- I hadn't thought of it in that context before, yeah.
0: That future focus is where resilience comes in, because mm-hmm. if we're coping in a way that is true to ourselves and is ultimately sustainable, we can build our resilience over time, our capacity to keep going and to deal effectively with challenges kind of the first step is our immediate response to those. So the more obvious, um, the, yeah, the more obvious we can make them to ourselves, you know, this is what I do when I get a, an email that bothers me. This is what I do when I have to work late several days in a row. Or This is what I do when this client says this particular thing that winds me up. All the way through to this is what I do when the news is full of terrible things. Mm. Or you know, as we've seen over the last couple of years, this is what I do to cope with lockdown. We've all responded to these things in very different ways, but we can look at them uh, from a helpful perspective to give them some meaning and to help uh, individuals identify a way that is helpful to them to navigate realistic challenges.
1: Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about coping, have you got like different maybe strands or buckets in which how we cope, Uh, any any way of differentiating like at a macro level one strategy Mm. from another?
0: I, I kind of, I try to keep it simple when talking about it and when working through it with say a team. Um, I'm doing a lot of well-being programs at the moment and there's an educative element in those programs and there's a very practical element. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about coping, we'd start with maybe what is the focus of the coping strategy that you're using? We can roughly divide these into emotion-focused and problem-focused. Things that we do to feel better about the situation, loosely, emotion-focused. Things that we do to deal with the source of the problem we're facing, we can call problem-focused. Now, they're not good versus bad, um, like most things. It depends on the context. If we haven't got any control over this problem whatsoever, if it's a big societal challenge, it it might be that it's better to engage in an emotion-focused strategy. If it's something we can do, if it's something that we could cut off at the source, then maybe a problem-focused strategy would be better. And of course, we can use them together. It's not pick one, but it is be be mindful, be aware of what it is that you're trying to have an impact on. So that's the first differentiation. And then for each of those, we can just ask ourselves, is this emotion-focused strategy sustainable or unsustainable. And again, I would put that to people as being, is this something that I can keep doing and it's not going to have a negative impact on my well-being or any of the other things that I might think about here? Often I put it in in terms of being well-being, but maybe it's sustainable today, but if I keep doing it, actually it could really hamper my productivity or it could really damage my relationships. An example there would be one that comes up a lot when I ask people to think about an emotion-focused coping strategy. Uh, An everyday problem at work, what might be something that people do to make themselves feel better? And a very common response is, oh, just get it off your chest. You know, go and have a moan at someone or, you know, just shout about it or something. And say, okay, in the moment, you might feel a bit of a cathartic release. It's not particularly good for us to do that all the time. But also, what does it mean for your relationships if you're the kind of person who, when they encounter a difficulty, just wants to get it off their chest? It may have an impact on how people view you over time. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, 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 yes. And uh, sorry, I, I was also, <laughs> I had so many questions. I'm trying to see how to how to formulate them. Um, so this, this emotion and problem focus, do you think that there's, uh, for example, can we have two coping strategies or two coping mechanisms for one issue? So for example, something Absolutely happens good. at work and we see, okay, because yeah, yeah. I can see how it can help to break down what, okay, what am I going to do about this, right? How is it making me feel? And what can I do about that versus same problem, but how am I going to move forwards with this?
0: Exactly. A a lot of, um, for example, a lot of emotion focused uh, coping uh, strategies might be about avoiding the problem. And Mm. that way we feel better in the short term. That might not be helpful in the longer term. It might be an avoidance strategy that means we're making up a bigger problem in the future. Um, Procrastination. (laughs) Mm. is an emotion-focused strategy for dealing with an unpleasant task. I just want to avoid it so I'll feel better now. But that doesn't help us with the problem at hand. Whereas uh, conflict with colleagues, it might be useful to engage a a problem-focused strategy of making an appointment, sitting down with them, having a chat through the relationship and talking about it, while simultaneously having some emotion-focused strategies like doing something for you, like going forward, for uh, a walk in a pleasant place, or practicing some mindful breathing to help you center yourself uh, in the moment, or indeed maybe a distraction technique when you're not at work so that you can really engage with a hobby. Mm. And I'm just thinking aloud here, but mm. it, it's not that you have to pick one and stick with it. It really is dependent on what is the source of this problem, and then is this helpful or not in the broadest sense. Mm.
1: I'm almost finding like a matrix appearing in front of my eyes with emotion, problem solving, and short term, long term. Uh, just, <laughs> just for yeah. you know, if we, if if I wanted to put an analytical uh, spin on it,
0: that's what yeah. I do in workshops. It's it's a it's a four box matrix. Ah. Where would we be without them, Pilar? But <laughs> yes. it's a four box, box matrix that that um, uses uh, emotion focused and problem focused um, on one axis, but also sustainable versus unsustainable on the other, and. That helps us think about it makes me feel good and I can keep doing it versus it makes me feel good and it's going to cause me problems uh, over the medium to longer term. That final box, if you like, the unsustainable emotion focus, that includes things like substances whether it's caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, food, you know, it helps me feel better in the moment. But if that's the thing I rely on, then I'm making a problem, another problem for myself in the longer term. Simultaneously, if I'm trying to control a problem that's outside of my control, then I might be making the situation worse for myself. You know, if one example that comes up all the time is people shouting at the TV. You know, <laughs> you know, I can't control <laughs> yeah. these politicians. And so what am I trying to do? I'm trying to do that and I'm shouting at them. Of course, that's not going to make any difference.
1: So when we're looking at this... And knowing these, like, if we want to use a matrix, we can use a matrix or the thought process that you're talking about. If we're looking at this, how do we assess what might be better for us or, or what we should give a try? How do we go about this?
0: That's a really nice way of putting it, um, giving it a try. When I talk about coping in a coaching context, we often talk about, you know, adding tools to the coping toolkit. So that you've got as many of these coping strategies as you're able to develop and practice because they will suit you in different circumstances differently. So what's helpful in one situation may not be helpful in another. So it's not rules we're looking to cultivate here, more I have these resources and I can use them. And it's, a, it's about developing those simultaneously with your self-awareness. In other words, I know what works for me. I know what's helpful for me in these different contexts. And I'm being honest with myself. So the more of these that we have to hand, the more flexibly we can respond to difficulties and the more we can do that with intention. So for example, we... We might say to ourselves, um, I've had this very bad news at work that has implications for change and uh, my place in the business, and it's very upsetting. And I know that what might make me feel better is to sit down with colleagues and complain about this. But I also know that that's not going to help this situation, and it may have a longer-term impact on my reputation or my, my relationships. I also know that what will help me feel better in the short term is to go for a walk and get some fresh air and think this through. So both emotion-focused, but they can have different outcomes. And knowing what works for you, knowing what's helpful for you, um, not necessarily for someone else, but for you, knowing what you can keep doing is a, a really, really big part of this identifying what your go-to strategies are your automatic strategies uh, again i probably mentioned this example before but you know when people cope with boredom by reaching for a device you know they automatically reach for their phone to get stuck into a bottomless pit of social media that's a distraction um, but it doesn't help you with what is going on around you it doesn't help you with the source of this challenge you're dealing with so if we take a step back, we can see lots of habits we might have cultivated that are our way of coping with uh, an uncomfortable or a challenging situation, some of which aren't as helpful as others. It's not a character flaw. It's it's not, you know, this is, this is to be condemned. It's more a case of stepping back and saying, if I'm honest with myself, that doesn't really help me.
1: I think that's a really... Um useful thing to be doing at the moment, even just that self-awareness and reflection of what our habits are, how we respond, what's helped in the past and what has been sustainable in the past. Because what I'm thinking, Richard, is that right now, I mean, we're recording in, uh, I think think it's April 2022.
0: (laughs) It is. I had to look at the calendar myself then.
1: (laughs) Um, There's a a lot of uh, uncertainty in the workplace in all kinds of ways. And I was reading an article this morning, I think it was the New York Times online, about the emotional difficulties of some people going back to the workplace and emotionally how difficult that is being one because well one they might be uh, dealing with bereavements but also um, they might have got used to working in a certain way from home and now having to come into the office is giving them Extra stress that we might not have thought of, like the the article mentioned, like going back to cliques that are formed in the office, which might have disappeared when we were online, mm. and of course the physical space, and of course all this stuff that's going on, and this is not a context we've known before, as far as I'm, well, you know, at least in my lifetime that we've had to go back to how th- to an environment that we were used to going into two years ago, mm. but we're going two years later when. The world has changed in many ways, when we might have changed, when our colleagues might have changed, where the dynamics at the workplace have changed. How do we cope with that? <laughs> so this is a very timely episode. It's a great
0: example. And it's also an example of why giving advice about how people should cope would be the last thing that mm. would be helpful because of the multitude of people and roles and contexts out there. In general, um, something like avoiding the problem, is not going to be helpful, you know? Mm-hmm. Denying that you're going to have to go in at some point. Um, whereas something else that might be emotionally fo- um, yeah, emotion focused um, would be to make a list of the things that are bothering you and to think about what you've got control over. Or problem focused might be to get more information from your employer to firm up what is the plan and, and what is required of me, rather than seeing a binary in the office, out of the office. But to think this through and see what you're trying to control. A, a big one that's come up um, in the last six months in, in conversations I've had is people's concern about public transport. Mm. They haven't had to use it for a long time. They've been warned away from being near people. And then suddenly they're back into crowded public transport where, in a lot of environments, people aren't wearing masks anymore. Yeah. And so the concern about that can be very, very anxiety inducing. And what we do in response to that is coping. So do we avoid the situation completely, and we're just putting it off then, and potentially the anxiety is getting bigger, all of those thoughts our mind is giving us, that anticipatory um, anxiety about something that hasn't happened yet, or do we look after ourselves, be compassionate, and say, what can I do to make this a better experience for me? And that might be avoiding rush hour. That might be practice runs on the way in. That might be going with a trusted other so that you've got a friendly pair of eyes you can see while you're navigating the journey. But it's something that we can't say, here's your checklist, because people's experiences are so different.
1: Yeah. And what they have control over is so different as well. Uh, Yeah
0: ears if that makes sense <laughs> myself when i was started to use public transport i just had to keep reminding myself of, of two things actually one was i can't control their behavior i really can't i'm winding myself up by getting angry at other people's not following the rules i mean that was that was my lockdown mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all i did and i had to keep reminding myself no no you do you You can't control them, and and trying to control them is not going to end well. And then the second bit was digging deep for some compassion for others and imagine other explanations for why they were doing what, what, what they were doing or not doing, so you know in in terms of not all of the exceptions are visible, we kept being told, so saying to myself, What might be the reason that person is accepted from wearing a mask? Let me think about that rather than they should be, they should be you know and and, and that kind of thinking, I know it didn't do me any good to get wound up. it really didn't, and in fact practicing that compassion for me and for them and looking for alternative explanations was a good emotion-focused way of coping with those journeys in the beginning. And I have to say, I don't think twice about it now. And if anything, the crowds are bigger, but digging deep in the beginning and really working through that, I think has helped me in the longer term.
1: And I think that reminds us of the the possibility of rewiring some of our thought processes as 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 you showed with that and even when we start to think about working with others and things that are happening around us that we can't control sometimes just the exercise of even if it's just an exercise of trying to understand what might be going through um i suppose the next step is even greater that you actually do have that understanding with the people but yeah i think that's uh, very powerful and
0: I'm. I have been um, exploring an online uh, platform. I do a lot of looking at apps and systems as as part of what I do. In case people ask about them, but I, I'm I'm looking at a weight loss platform at the moment um, and hoping to benefit from it at the same mm-hmm. time. Obviously, but you know, there's, there's a really good thread of exploring what stops you from doing what you want to do. There's a big sort of. CBT, cognitive behavioral element in this to help you understand why you might avoid some healthy behaviors and why you might uh, dig in deep to some unhealthy behaviors. So maybe not going to the gym or having more food than you actually need or snacking on unhealthy things. And that's a big part of coping. You know, it makes me feel better. Of course, it makes you feel better to have that snack or have that drink or, you know, eat when you're not even hungry but it's not helping with the problem. And actually, it's making a bigger problem for you. And that automatic response to discomfort is one that if we look back to our earlier conversations about the role that discomfort plays, psychological discomfort, and how we can effectively deal with that, that's another strand to, to lay over our, our understanding of coping. Are we doing something that is aligned with our values and we can keep going through this discomfort because we can draw meaning from it? Or are we engaging in avoidant, um, uh, away moves that are all focused about not having this discomfort, this temporary discomfort, because most of it is. And most of the discomfort that we encounter isn't dangerous. It's just uncomfortable. It's not painful. It's just uncomfortable. So if we can frame that as part of our understanding of our coping opportunities that are in front of us, we can always then say to ourselves, is this something that is the kind of person I want to be ideally? Or is this me just trying to avoid or minimize the stuff that I'm feeling that's uncomfortable? And we can keep it nice and simple at that level.
1: And so you've you've you mentioned, and we've seen that this is linked to a lot of other stuff that we talk about. Is it like is uh, the concept of uh, how we cope? Is it like a subset of self care that we talked about in episode? I think it was ninety seven.
0: Yeah, and and this is one where we can it gets a bit sticky here, um, or a little bit um, more complex because a lot of what we do. Well, let, let's put it this way: um, I've yet to find an agreed and useful definition of self-care and actually if we go out into the world that's not academia people use self-care to describe lots of things so we might inadvertently say that what we're doing is self-care when in fact it's avoiding a situation that we would be better to face and so we we might say well I'm, i'm looking after me by not having that conversation when in fact you could label it procrastination, you could label it avoidance, but that, that is a, a conversation that needs to happen. Whereas some of the self-care that we don't think about is stuff that's looking after us by getting our lives in order and mm-hmm. <laughs> paying our bills and looking looking into that paperwork that we've been avoiding, or indeed going to the gym or investing in our well-being somehow. That is self-care. So the shorthand for self-care we often have is, I'm going to sit down with my favorite book in a glass of wine lovely you know that's great but it that shouldn't be your only form of self-care really and also we need to have that layer of honesty which is am I really looking after myself here or is this me telling myself a story that it's okay to do this rather than face up to the adult themed tasks that, (laughs) that we all really need to do
1: yeah great thank you
0: So a quick run through this concept um, of coping, but I think long-term listeners will have heard echoes of this when we talked about the benefits of being psychologically flexible and when we've talked about resilience in the past. And of course, when we've talked about self-care, I'd love to hear your questions. You can either contact us on Twitter at MyPocketPsych. You can leave us a voicemail and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Or you can email us, podcast at worklifepsych.com. And of course, quick reminder, you can continue the conversation with us over on our online community um, anytime you like. um, And you can find that at worklifepsych.club. Pilar, I never ask you this, and it's been ringing in my mind for quite some time, and I didn't add it to the script. So apologies for ambushing you with this. But if people wanted to find you online, where should they go?
1: Oh, well, they can find me everywhere. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best uh, place, Pilar or tea.
0: Fantastic. I'll put that link in the show notes. <laughs> Well, we're at the end of, uh, wow, episode 110. I keep saying wow when we look at the numbers. It's, it's brilliant. I love it. I love it. 110 of something.
1: Wow, it's good.
0: Well, listen, everyone, thank you for joining us for this discussion um, about coping. We look forward to hearing from you if you found it useful or if you've got follow-up questions. And of course, we look forward to uh, seeing you in episode 111. Thanks for listening.